When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. And Josh, uh, like we said at the end of the last podcast, this is March. Uh, There's a lot going on right now for Ohio State. You had the start of spring practice today. Obviously, a ton going on in the world of college basketball, with all these conference tournaments starting up, as well as the NCAA tournament coming up right after that. So an, an exciting month coming up here for Ohio State sports and just college sports in general. Yeah, I think that you and I were both a little bit worried about content, maybe, uh, with basketball season winding down. But with spring practice getting started and uh, the press conferences they had today, I feel like we have a lot to talk about, and I'm excited, man. Yeah, the good thing about Ohio State is that there is is always content no matter what's going on. Uh, Somehow there's always football content, even though they only play like three three out of the 12 months of the year. Uh, they always find a way to make themselves in the news, whether it be recruiting, just just spring practices like today we had as we're recording this on Tuesday. Got the first spring practice, so I think reporters got to see less than an hour total of practices. Uh, they also got to hear from uh, Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, and Kevin Wilson, so we'll talk about that in a bit. But a ton of content out of there, even just on the first day of spring practice. But of course, since it is March, we do have to start things off with the Ohio State basketball team. Uh, a weird ending to the season to wrap up what has been a weird overall season for the Ohio State basketball team. Obviously, the last two episodes, Josh and I have spoke about about them, some of their upcoming games. They did wind up finishing the season literally up and down. They won one, lost one, won one, lost one. Uh, and, and pretty much every time you expect the Ohio State basketball team to do one thing, they do the complete opposite. So you have, you know, they, they go, they lose to Nebraska, and you're thinking, okay, well, this is this whole thing is just going to crash and burn. Then they come out the next game. They, they, they really beat up on Michigan State pretty easily in that game. And then you're like, okay, maybe they could finish out the season strong. And then they come back, and they, they lay an egg against the Hunter Dickinson-less Michigan team. And so now they're kind, they're kind of limping their way into the Big Ten tournament now here. Uh, they're they're without or they they were without Kyle Young and mostly without Zed Key, so they're, they're pretty beat up both physically. Obviously, they're they're you know this end of the season we knew would be a grind with how many games they had to play in a short period of time. It would have been really nice to get that double buy in the Big Ten tournament, which they did not wind up earning. But now here we are going into the Big Ten tournament, and and as we have said pretty much for every game this season, it, we really don't quite know what to expect from the Buckeyes. You know, outside of of the obvious and EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham, it's just a it's a hard team to get a grasp on. Yeah, it was a really tough, difficult finish to the season for Ohio State. You know, I remember a couple of episodes ago, it seems like we were talking about a team that was undefeated at home with a chance, an outside chance to win the Big Ten regular season title or at least share it. And it it kind of folded like a house of cards, right, Gene? And injuries certainly played a part, but inconsistent offense, I would say lackadaisical defense at times, too many turnovers, getting beat up on the boards, which you can kind of tie that to the injuries. But, you know, you you said that you don't know what to expect. I I think I do know what to expect. And I don't 
it's not great at this point right now. I hope that they can come out and surprise us, especially in the Big Ten tournament with some time off. They needed a little bit of that, even if it's just short of a week. They had played a lot of games down the stretch, but I think that they're going to need some really special performances down the stretch and in the postseason from EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham. And like we've talked about, seemingly ad nauseum, is the need for a third or fourth score consistently, even if it's 8, 10, 12 points a game on a consistent basis. They need that in the worst way right now. So I hope Zed Key can get right. I hope that Kyle Young, just personally, I I hope for him he can play. He's been through a lot uh, during his career at Ohio State, but... You know, I, I don't know. How are you feeling going into the Big Ten tournament? What what do you see happening here at the end of the season for them? Uh, to be honest, I don't feel great. And, you know, part of that is like all the things you've said with, you know, injuries and inconsistent play. I think it is, you know, worth mentioning that, like, you know, you said even on the defensive end, they haven't been that great. And that's kind of been the staple of Chris Holman's tenure as in his entirety as, as a basketball coach has been. His teams have always been really strong on the defensive end. And even if they're not, you know, the best, there's a lot of good effort on that side of the ball. And we haven't exactly seen that from Ohio State as of late, especially. They've pretty much been getting scored on at will, regardless of who they're playing on any given night. Um, and yeah, you know, these, the injuries are not great. I, it'll, I, I think if they want to make any noise, in the big 10 tournament, they will need a healthy Kyle Young and Zed key. Obviously they are, they're lacking in size elsewhere, elsewhere, uh, despite Joey Bronk potentially being the third best player on the team now, uh, seemingly out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I mean, we, you know, we talk about this being a two man team with Liddell and Branham. Uh, those guys have, have now, you know, earned, earned some accolades for their efforts this year. EJ Liddell being named to the first team, all big 10 and Malachi Branham winning big 10 freshman of the year. But, but outside of those two guys, man, it's, it's really been bleak. I mean, Michi Johnson has seemingly fallen off a cliff. Justin Orange has been pretty bad all year. Uh, Eugene Brown has been it's been average at best on both sides of the ball, and you're occasionally getting production out of Wheeler and uh, Jamari Wheeler and Cedric Russell, but it, it isn't enough to to help out those other two guys, especially if teams are going to double Adele and make life hard for Branham. It's just Ohio State falls into these stretches where they aren't scoring for for large swaths of time, and you know especially if Liddell's on the bench or Branham's on the bench, you really have one guy out there that you can consistently rely on to score. And, you know, to his credit, you know, Joey Brunk has been playing really, really well lately, and he's been playing well inside, yeah. decent enough on the defensive end, but they just don't have uh, enough of a, of a third or third or fourth consistent score. Even like you said, just to get you, you know, eight to 10 points a game, it, it seems like it's, it's pulling teeth to get anything out of the rest of this roster. And it is tough because, you know, coming into the season, we expected Justin Orange to consider to continue hitting threes. We expected to Michi Johnson to take a step up and, and both those guys have really not contributed seemingly at all for most of the season, especially late here down the stretch. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's going to be a tough road here for Ohio State. They don't play till Thursday, uh, Thursday night nine. They'll play the winner of uh, Minnesota versus Maryland, uh, two teams that you know are, are are certainly beatable and teams that Ohio State should beat on paper. Uh, but you know, even if they do get past that first round, then they have a meeting with Purdue, and we know Ohio State's you know recent recent games against Purdue, the way that they've gone. Ohio State doesn't have a ton of success against Purdue. Uh, I think Purdue is probably the best team in the Big Ten overall. So, and especially with all the size they have, a, a terrible matchup for Ohio State there. So, you know, based on the way Ohio State finished the season and and the, just the way that they they fell in the bracket, I, I think it's going to be a, a a surprise if Ohio State wins more than one game in the tournament. To be honest. I think the thing that has really struck me, excuse me, the latter half of the season is 
the guard play or lack thereof. And it's funny because outside of Michi Johnson, those guys have been pretty healthy. So it's not as if the the dynamic or the lineup in the backcourt has changed all that much, but they just do not have a distributor. And you need that. EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham are both very good individually. Uh, You know, they can kind of get their own shots, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They don't need a whole lot, but to get a third or fourth scorer in place and kind of involved, you need somebody who can distribute. And I think Jamari Wheeler has done an admirable job, but he, I wouldn't say that he's a floor general. He's not an assist guy. He's, he can, does a little bit of everything. And I think he's been really good this year, but <clears throat> the, the guard play has just been so bad um, for no other term that I think that has really hampered them down the stretch as well as the injuries. I think they've kind of run up against two different problems here, maybe three with the defense, but you mentioned Michi Johnson. He has been absolutely ice cold lately since his injury, especially. And you don't know how much the face mask was really impacting him. But since he's had it off, he has not played that much and has not looked good. I'm sort of surprised. I want to get your feedback on this. Are you surprised that we have not seen more Jimmy Sotos down the stretch? Because I think that in his limited playing time, I think he's been pretty good. He's been steady. He's not a turnover guy. He can pass the ball a little bit. He's shot pretty well in a couple of games recently when he got playing time. So I'm surprised we haven't seen more of him over Michi Johnson as the season has gone on to maybe just try and throw a different look out there, try and throw another ball handler out there, which I think they really need because, again, outside of Jamari, even Malachi Branham, he he takes care of the ball in a sense, and he can get his own shot. But it's more for him. He averages, and I had it up in front of me, less than two assists per game, 1.9. Jamari Wheeler led the team with three assists per game. And that's just not good enough. You know, you need a floor general out there, I think, especially in the Big Ten. When you look at some of these guys, even if they're not superstars or even point guards, Wisconsin has a guy like Brad Davison who, you know, not a big fan over here, but he's a steady presence in the backcourt. Purdue's got Jaden Ivey and a couple other guards. You just you look at the top tier teams and they've got some good guard play. Jamari Wheeler, or I'm sorry, Malachi Branham is very much a swing guy to me. And so this backcourt has just really been hurting them, I think. So I want to get your feedback on that. Yeah, Malachi Branham is definitely not a point guard. He is a true shooting guard. He is not mm-hmm. he's not out there to distribute the ball. He is out there to get buckets, and he's been doing that very well. But yeah, like you said, he's you know, they're they're lacking a, a point guard, a, a true distributor. Jamari Wheeler, I thought's played well, but he's not that kind of guy. He's a he's a three and D type of player. And, you know, he hasn't he hasn't looked for a shot a whole ton. When he has it, it's gone pretty well. He's just not very aggressive on the offensive end. Um, you know, he's he's been pretty good at getting his own shot, driving to the rim, creating all, for, from three-point. So, you know, he's he's done well on offense. He's just not a very aggressive player. And then, you know, you have a guy like Cedric Russell, who's also more of a, a three-point shooter, kind of a hot and cold, streaky player. And you just, 
you know, at the end of the day, there's there's not a ton of guard minutes to go uh, go around. I feel like Wheeler and and Branham have basically played the entire game for the most part. So whatever little else you get from you know guys like Michi Johnson or Cedric Russell or even a Jimmy Sotos, it's limited playing time. But you know, the, there's just not a ton of of guys that could could fill it up consistently. You know, it's just you have a, a microwave score in Russell, a guy who isn't an offensive minded player in in Wheeler, and then you don't really know what you have from Jimmy Sotos. And then like around them, you know, you have the other forward spots like Gene Brown. I feel like plays just because he's a he's a low floor guy. Like you're not going to get terrible play out of him, but he's also not you know he's probably a a, a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy where he's just going to be you no know, he's out there and he'll he'll play okay, but he's not gonna he's not gonna drop 15 points for you. He's not going to score a ton. He did have a couple of good offensive games this year, but that's not really his style. He's also more of a defensive guy, and even his defense has kind of struggled this year. So they're just not getting the most out of these players, and I don't know what he it got is lit up it. against Nebraska. You know, he was I think counted on. Uh, to be a good defensive presence against Bryce, uh, gosh, I'm I'm struggling with his last name, but the freshman from Nebraska, he torched Eugene Brown. So I think that was really disappointing in that game. Going back a little bit, yeah, for sure. And you know, as a team, I don't know if that's just like if it's just tired legs at the end of the year, but as a team, their defense has just really struggled outside of pretty much everyone besides EJ Liddell, who seems to block like five or six shots a night at this point, but. It's been it's been tough sledding uh, across the board on the offensive end, on the defensive end, and it's it's not what you want when you get to this point in the season. You'd like to have things kind of figured out, and I feel like Ohio State just never quite figured it out this year, and now they're going into the conference tournament still not having fully figured it out, so... I don't know. I don't have a ton of high hopes for the Buckeyes in the in the postseason at large. You know, depending on what their 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 first matchup is in the NCAA tournament, it could could be a, a tough tough game. You know, I saw recently them them slotted. Somebody predicted them to play Memphis. I wouldn't love a matchup like that for Ohio State. Obviously, you know, I talked about them having to definitely play Purdue in the Big Ten tournament if they advance, and then if they advance past that, they'd have to play you know Wisconsin, who they went one and one against, and their last time they certainly didn't look very good. Um, so it's it's a tough road ahead. It's not going to get easier now that we're in you know postseason play. So I don't expect them to get suddenly better. Maybe the extra rest helps out, especially on the defensive side of the floor. But if they're not getting consistent points from anybody besides Brandon and Liddell, I just don't know if that's enough to get it done, especially when you're going to be playing multiple games over a few days stretch. You know, those guys can win you games just by themselves, but if you're asking them to do that two, three, four days in a row, it's going to be almost impossible. So I don't love their chances there. And I'm just, you know, I'm not, you know, it sucks to say I'm just not super high on them. I, I want, I, I enjoy watching them. I think they're a fun team when they're, when they're playing well, but there's just been too many stretches this year where they're not playing well, even a little bit. The good news is they will play their first big 10 tournament game against either Minnesota or Penn state. They went four and against both of those teams. They waxed Minnesota last time they played. So Maybe they can get some confidence in a game like that and shoot the ball and score like they did early against Michigan State. You know, the beginning of that game, they were absolutely on fire. And Joey Brunk gave them a lot, obviously, during that game. We don't know what the big man rotation will be moving forward, but I I think they need to build some confidence. I think that they are definitely struggling with it and have been struggling with that down the stretch because of the inconsistency and the injuries and just a lot of unknown. But I think the thing that they would need at a minimum, and it's a tough ask, is 40 points from EJ and Malachi combined. I think they have to have that to move forward. Maybe not in this next game. Maybe they can get some contributions from somebody else. But against Purdue and potentially against Wisconsin would probably be the next matchup if they were to beat Purdue. And then into the NCAA tournament, 
I think they need 40 points from their two stars and then somebody else giving you at least 10, you know, that, that gets you halfway. That gets you to 50. They're not going to score a hundred, but it kind of gets you over the hump and maybe you get five points from a collection of other guys. But I think it has to start with those two stars. And I think they have to play really, really well. Like 15 a piece, isn't going to get it done. Um, seven for 20 from the field is not going to get it done. And that's a, it's tough to ask those guys to perform so well, but I think it's a necessity if Ohio State basketball is going to be successful moving forward. Yeah, and you know, outside of Ohio State, I think the Big Ten tournament is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. across the Big Ten, you know, there's a lot of teams that just are, are stacked with individual talent. You know, you look at, you know, Purdue and Illinois are probably the favorites. You look at Purdue, they got Jaden Ivey, Zach Eady, Travion Williams. That's a really, really solid team. Illinois with Kofi Coburn and Trent Frazier, even if, even a team like Rutgers, you know, Ron Harper Jr. has been playing really well this year. They've knocked off every top six seed, not including themselves this season. So maybe they can make a little bit of noise. You have Iowa with a guy like Keegan Murray, who's one of the best players in the country. So there's a lot of really good individual talents and, and anybody could really break out on any given night and carry their team to victory. So I think overall, you know, Ohio State included, I think there's a lot of chaos that could happen in the Big Ten tournament. And I think that's going to be a lot of games that are, are really fun. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, even if Ohio State doesn't make it as far as we like. I'm with you. And I think that's why we both had a little bit of fun with our Your Nuts column the, that came out yesterday. I picked Iowa and I was surprised that they were actually the third favorite. They were, um, I forget the school that was in, I, I forget who they were over. I think maybe they were favored over Wisconsin to win the whole tournament, which surprised me a little bit. But you mentioned it, you know, Rutgers, then you've got a team like Nebraska. I don't foresee them winning at all or even making it to a, a semifinal, but they've beaten some giants recently. So I think the tournament, like you said, it's going to be very exciting. I think it'll be chaotic. And I really wouldn't be surprised to see one of four or five teams win it. And I didn't in the column, but I would still, just because I'm a homer, include Ohio State. You know, they have beaten Duke. They have beaten Wisconsin. They have played Purdue well. Neither one of us is saying that right now, but if they come out game one and they look really good, then I would say maybe all bets are off and hopefully they can get hot and get lucky down the stretch. Yeah, and you know, I, this is it's an interesting time of year for me because this time last year I was not uh, in a state where there was legal sports gambling. I was living in New York at the time, and now I'm in. Well, now it's it's legal in New York too, but I'm in New Jersey. Sports gambling's legal, so now I have all these tournaments that I that I have a chance to, to legally gamble on. And it's going to be an interesting time of year, especially with March Madness coming up. But I'm interested, sure. you know, if, if you were going to place a wager on any of these teams, Josh, who would you look at? Because I'm, I, I think, you know, you, you wrote about them in your nuts. I'm interested in a team like Iowa, just because you know Purdue and Illinois are the odds-on favorite. So there's not there's a little bit of money to be made there just because there's no like runaway favorite in the Big Ten. But as far as Iowa goes, they got the third highest odds. If I was going to bet on, you know, if I could take Purdue, Illinois and Iowa versus the field, I would certainly do that. But that's not an option. But I think a team like Iowa is good value because of a guy like Keegan Murray. Like I said before, you just need kind of if one guy is hot enough. Iowa has a lot of good shooters. They're one of the highest scoring teams in the country. Uh, I, I think that they could get hot and go on a run here and perhaps win the Big Ten. And because there's no you know, clear head and shoulders team above the rest, I, I think that it's, it's anybody's game. And for a team like that with an offense as high-powered as theirs, I think they have as good a shot as any. So if I was going to you know, place a wager on any of these teams, I think that my, my best money, my best value play here would be Iowa. Yeah, and I don't think I could go with anybody different. I think I would go with Iowa, maybe Wisconsin. I could probably talk myself into Wisconsin because they've got Johnny Davis and they've got 
you know, like I said, Brad Davison and some experienced guys. And I think Greg Gard's a pretty good coach. Um, so those would probably be my two teams. I think the favorite, if I had to pick one, is Purdue because I just think Jaden Ivey is special. And I think that the big guys they have really give a lot of teams trouble. And they've got uh, the great shooter whose name I'm forgetting right now, too. So they would be my, you know, quote unquote favorite. But if I was going to put some money down, which I'll hopefully be able to do here in Ohio in the fall or early next year is the deadline here for implementation of that here in Ohio. I, I, I'm with you. I would go with Iowa and maybe uh, Wisconsin as well if I was going to pick a third team. Yeah, regardless, should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the Big Ten tournament, which is, you know, as the time we're recording this, starting up tomorrow with the, with the first round games. And then Ohio State's game, of course, will be on, on Thursday night. But moving on to a, to a different Ohio State sport and the one that was all over the, the Tuesday beat uh, is is the Ohio State football team, as they usually do, dominating the news cycle. Uh, spring ball started up today, first day of, of spring practices. Uh, the media got to attend a small portion of the practice, as well as hear from uh, Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, and Kevin Wilson. Um, not a ton, I, I thought, of interesting stuff to come out of the you know 30 to 45-minute viewing period, whatever it was for the media. You're not going to learn a bunch in the, in the first practice of the year. Uh, but I thought there were some interesting things worth t- discussing within the, the press conferences for each guy. So we'll start, obviously, with head coach Ryan Day. Um, he spoke about you know one of his top priorities is finding the best five or six offensive linemen. Uh, when you look at the offensive line, they the way that they lined up on on Tuesday was pretty much exactly how we expected them to coming into this offseason. They had Paris Johnson Jr. at left tackle, Dewan Jones at right tackler, right tackle Luke Whipler at center, and then Matt Jones and Donovan Jackson at guard. Um, he did say he's he's pretty concerned about the tight ends. He did say G. Scott Jr. has made a good amount of progress, but obviously that is a position that everyone knows is not uh, the most stacked right now on Ohio State's roster. Not that I think that's a bad thing. I think it opens the, the door for more wide receivers serious to be on the field and you know speaking of wide receivers uh ryan day both ryan day and kevin wilson had great things to say about Jaden ballard uh kind of a guy that's a little bit forgotten in a room filled with so much talent they said he earned one of the most improved awards this season uh, also in the wide receiver room cam babb is, is fully healthy after tearing his acl four times in five years which i just have to say if, if i tore my acl four times in five years I'd, I'd give up on walking let alone football like i'm just not doing it anymore <laughs> the, the fact that this guy is still chugging at it, it's insane to me it's such a credit to him and those within the program absolutely love him. You know, he was a, if I recall, a high four-star recruit, came in with a ton of potential. And yeah, he has suffered more injuries, maybe not catastrophic, but more injuries than anyone I can really ever remember in this Ohio State program. So that was a, a one of the positives I took from the press conference is the fact that he's out there healthy, running around. You know, even if he were to go out there and play um, a small role, I think that that would be awesome, not only for him, but for the program as well. Yeah, and you know, Ryan Day said he they, they plan on having him make an impact on offense this year, so it'd be great to see him finally, you know, his, his career finally pan out. I'm sure there's a lot of, of people that are, are fans of Ohio State that don't even know who Cameron Babb is because of how long he's been hurt, but he was he was a highly regarded recruit. Uh, he's a guy who's he's pretty cut. Like, he looks he looks jacked. It's a shame that he hasn't been able to get on the field. I'm sure he'll he'll be, be a very good player. I don't know how much, you know, how many reps he'll get because of all the wide receiver talent in that room, but it'd be nice to see him make even a small contribution this year, like you said. Um, in terms of other injury news, uh, 
Josh Proctor's still not back to full speed. They said he might not be full speed throughout the entirety of spring practice. They said, you know, through the middle of spring practice, they'll probably have him doing some drills, but he's not going to be full go this spring. Uh, Lathan Ransom is obviously still out after suffering that leg injury in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Cam Brown went through punt coverage drills, but didn't do anything uh, in terms of defensive drills. You know, Cam Brown's a guy who had a bunch of nagging injuries through 2021 after injuring his Achilles in 2020. So he's a guy who's been banged up throughout his career as well. Uh, Harry Miller was not at practice at all. Kind of a, a weird situation with him. Uh, and Tyler Friday is not practicing after tearing his ACL last year. But uh, in terms of, you know, good injury news, notable returnees, uh, Cody Simons practicing after leaving the Rose Bowl last year with an injury. And Mitchell Melton, who missed all of last year uh, w- with a linebacker, he's now moved to the defensive line room. Looks like he's going to be playing defensive end. He's a guy who's, who's a very interesting player, a guy that was highly regarded out of high school, a guy that, you know, was making a lot of noise in Ohio State spring practices last season before his injury. So I'm interested to see what he does. And so, you know, I think overall, kind of what we expected, it's not like there's any new guys popping up on the depth chart or that are that are injured or, you know, things, the guys that are behind schedule, it seems like everyone is progressing as we expected and the roster is going to look, you know, pretty similar to what we, we thought coming into the season as far as, you know, the, the start of spring practice goes. Mixed bag, right? A couple guys banged up, a couple guys we're not real sure about, and a couple other guys who are returning, Co- Cody Simon being one of those guys. To be expected, I'm with you, no surprises there. Um, you know, we talked in our Slack a little bit about the lack of Harry Miller talk. And the thing I said is, you know, I, I just think there's probably a lot of unknown with him. He's been in the program for a number of years and they didn't really speak about any of his injuries, ailments or whatever his situation was last year. So I think that's just sort of a TBD thing. I don't have at this point, I'm forced to not have many hopes for Harry Miller, just because of the unknown, but to have another guy, especially with experience up front would be big. But the fact that I think they have their, you know, kind of starting five already set with some room for other guys to maybe rotate in. That's good for a unit that wasn't good last year. Right. So they've settled on a group. It seems like early on, um, Ryan day spoke about the tight end position and that, you and I have both talked about it as probably our biggest concern. Uh, G. Scott has put on some weight. People have spoken highly of Joe Royer, but if I had a number one concern, besides just the defense sort of getting acclimated to Jim Knowles and vice versa, it's probably that tight end position. I know they don't use it a whole lot, but it, it was still on the field quite often for Ohio State. So I think that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Good news on Josh Proctor. You know, they said that he's not going to be full go by the end of spring, but that he, I think they said he should be back into some drills by the middle of spring, just doing some things, which is good. That means he's progressing. He's improving. We hope to see him healthy, but I don't think Ryan Day gave us a whole lot. I don't think that there was a lot that he could give to us so early on. I did like what he had to say about CJ Stroud, you know, putting more on his plate now that he's learning uh, the the one thing that Ryan Day said is he's learning why he does things rather than just what to do. So I think that speaks to his progression and his development. The sky's probably the limit for him, he, even higher than what we saw last year. So all good things from Ryan Day. There were no real negatives uh, that I drew from his comments. Yeah, for sure. My, my stance on the tight end position at Ohio State remains throw it in the garbage. Don't use it. I don't want to look at it and I don't want to think about it. 
Um, yeah, in terms of C.J. Stroud, it sounds a lot like what they did with with Justin Fields, where you know his first year they they kind of let him let him run out and let him do his thing, and then year two they kind of opened up the playbook a little bit and let him do a little bit more complicated stuff, more more complex offensive schemes and different routes and stuff like that. So I think they're doing you know kind of the same thing with C.J. Stroud, kind of a similar player in terms of you know skill and talent, or at least from what we've seen so far. Uh, on the same kind of path as as Justin Fields, so I like to hear that from Ryan Day. And then just to kind of wrap up some of the other things Ryan Day said, he said that um, Jackson Smith and Jigbo will likely move inside and outside this year, playing a little bit in the slot and on the outside, which makes sense for a guy that has you know NFL aspirations. NFL teams like to see that that sort of um, you know utility and being able to play multiple spots. And Jackson Smith and Jigba seems like a guy who would be adept at doing both. So I'm sure they'll move a lot of those wide receivers around. And then just kind of to wrap things up, he said that uh, J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock were also honored. As, as most improved this offseason, which I know, Josh, you and I personally, we love to hear that because those are two guys that, yeah. especially on a defense with a lot of question marks, those are two guys that we're pretty high on in this offseason. Yeah, you and I have both mentioned both of those guys as uh, a couple of players that we're interested in seeing. I'd love to see them get some playing time because based on their recruiting pedigree, I think they could make a difference. And maybe it's not so much this year because they've sort of, you know, basically have their two starting cornerbacks from last year coming back this year, but I think they'll be on the field. And that's a good thing to hear both Ryan Day and Jim Knowles, who I know we'll get to speak about those two and their improvement and their work ethic and everything that they showed throughout the winter. Moving on to that defense, everyone's favorite defensive coordinator that has yet to coach at Ohio State game, Jim Knowles, uh, spoke a lot about safeties, and he had a lot of interesting things to say, a lot of like tidbits and, and a more look into his defensive scheme. I know we've talked a lot here already about kind of the the idea of his defensive scheme, but I think a lot of what he spoke about on Tuesday kind of put a little some faces to, to positions and gave us a look at what some of the depth chart might look like and where guys are slotted coming into this offseason. And so, you know, what, what a lot of what Jim Doles does is a, is a safety-driven defense, which is a far cry from Ohio State's single high safety they used the past couple years. Uh, we're going to look at Ohio State having probably three safeties on the field almost at all times next season, but they're going to look a bit different than your traditional safeties. So kind of the way he broke it down is that you're going to have one guy who's, who they're calling the nickel, which is a, a true nickel. It's a, it's a slot safety, a slot corner kind of guy, a guy that's going to, you know, play play in the, in the slot and do a lot of coverage stuff. Then you have your, your boundary safety or or your strong safety, who they call the bandit. And that's kind of like, you know, your back end of the defense guy, your, your sure tackler. Actually, no, I'm sorry. That The bandit is the guy who's more of the the upfront kind of run run helping safety. And then the free safety or the adjuster, as, as Jim Knowles calls it, is your, is your roaming guy in the back end, your eraser type kind of player. And so he gave us kind of a look or, or a glimpse into what how the, some of those positions are shaking out or how he envisions guys fitting into those roles. And so right now at nickel, it seems like it'll be between uh, Tanner McAllister, the transfer from Oklahoma State that came over with Jim Knowles, and Cam Martinez. I, I'm really high on Cam Martinez. I think he's a guy that would be perfect as kind of that slot corner, slot safety kind of player. And obviously Tanner McAllister played that position at Oklahoma State and has a lot of uh, reps and a lot of knowledge of Jim Knowles' defensive schemes. I think you could also see a guy like Lathan Ransom play in that spot once he's fully healthy. Uh, whenever that may be. Uh, the most interesting is how how adamant I think Jim Knowles is on Court Williams being a safety. You know, I had pegged him as a yeah. linebacker. I had pegged him as a linebacker this offseason. It appears that Jim Knowles is very set on him being a safety. He has him as that strong safety, that bandit position, because he wants him to be able to help out in the run game. And, you know, you know, thing about it, it does make a lot of sense. You know, uh, 
Court Williams is probably built more like a linebacker, but he but he tackles like a safety. He hits hard, and I think having a guy like that where he could kind of be back there and see the whole field and be able to make plays in the run game and in the passing game when he needs to make tackles, I think it's good to have a guy like that out there. And then the third safety out there would be Ronnie Hickman as sort of your free safety or adjuster, which is, is you know, he's, he's your back-end guy. I think that's better for him than a coverage role. I thought Ronnie Hickman was good last year, but I didn't love him in coverage, but he is a very sure tackler, so I think that that's kind of a better spot for him. And then I think a guy, you know, once he's fully healthy, a guy like Josh Proctor could kind of bounce between either of those spots, and I, I don't know if we really know which of those he's better at, but I think Josh Proctor has more versatility than either of those guys do. I think Court Williams is definitely more of that strong safety type, and Ronnie Hickman is more of that free safety type, and then Josh Proctor's kind of a tweener. So I think they have a lot of options about there, and I like I like what I'm hearing out of Jim Moles. You know, I like this idea for these safeties. I think it's a lot better than what Ohio State was doing and kind of throwing one guy out there on an island to be that last line of defense. And I, I'm very interested to see this, you know, in play on the field. I'm sure we'll get our first glimpse of it during the spring game later in April. But I'm very interested in a lot of the safety play, and it's 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 totally different from what Ohio State's been doing the past couple of years. So a couple of things on the safety discussion. Uh, first and foremost with Court Williams, I think that you and I are both in the Court Williams hive. We've been fans of his, especially after he got a little bit of playing time at the end of last year. So for me, I, I don't care where he's on the field as long as he gets an opportunity. I've got high hopes for him. So it was promising to hear Jim Knowles kind of speak in depth about Court Williams and his potential, I guess. I'm with you. I think he's more of a run stopper right now, if you can say that about a safety just because of his build. But I I think that he can be an asset regardless. And I'm with you, I think on Josh Proctor, I think that he has some versatility to where he can be that boundary bandit or, uh, you know, sort of the over the top guy. I think that as he gets healthy, he'll probably play at a couple of different safety positions. If I had to guess, whether it's a true rotation or they just kind of try him out in some different spots. But yeah, it's funny because we didn't get to see it a ton last year because of the alignment, because of the scheme. But I think they've got a lot of options for a position that Jim Knowles is very high on and counts on quite a bit. He mentioned five or six guys, and I think they can all play. We've seen them play some But in this three safety alignment, I think that we might see a little bit of a rotation. There's definitely a strength in the depth there, which we didn't really have last year. or We didn't get to utilize. So I think just to hear him speak about so many different guys, that's a positive. And the music to my ears was when he said that he envisions Ronnie Hickman and Court Williams playing together. I think those guys could be a dynamic duo. I don't know if either one of them is great in coverage but I think they're a similar sort of player, right? They want to fly around. They want to get after the ball. They want to hit some guys. Ronnie Hickman's not a big dude, but we saw him lead the team in tackles last year. So he's more than capable of doing that. I think those guys are are going to be really exciting. And then with the slot cover safety corner, whatever you want to call it, again, they have options. Tanner McAllister is experienced in, this defense under this coach and you spoke about cam martinez he flashed at times last year really really good athlete played both sides of the ball in high school so i think he can do some things too so i'm really excited to see how the depth chart really shakes out as the offseason progresses because i think they've got a ton of options to choose from yeah and it seems like ohio state is going away from that bullet position but at the same time 
I don't really know if Ohio State ever used the bullet position because I don't know if, you know, obviously Ronnie Hickman had that distinction last year, but was there anything that Ronnie Hickman did that you would consider as a linebacker play? Like, it's not like they blitzed him. It's not like they put him up the middle on any run stops. Like, it's it felt like Ronnie Hickman was just already playing strong safety and they were just calling it a bullet. I don't really think that— I think- he did anything. I that think was he was bullet by default because they didn't have an option like a Court Williams, who is a little bit bigger, brings a little more physicality. And so I think Ronnie Hickman did an admirable job. But I think depending on the team you're playing against and whether they're pass heavy or run heavy, maybe that's where the most rotation is at that spot, because while they're similar, the body makeup is a little bit different as well. And so I, I, I'm with you. Ronnie Hickman was just sort of an out there sort of a guy. I would not call him a hybrid linebacker, and I don't think they used him as such last year. Yeah, for sure. And I think that at setting it up like this and having guys in, in more distinct roles and not playing more of these hybrid roles makes their lives easier because they have to think less. You know, you have you have a guy who is deter like a safety that's out there just to do coverage stuff. You have a safety that's out there just to do run stopping. You have a safety that's out there just to be the top guy over the like to, to stop the back end. And I think that having guys with with one role to do instead of making them think through five different assignments on any given play is going to make this defense better. And you know, there's a lot of other things that are going to go into this defense. And I think that Jim Knowles seems incredibly smart, and his defense is going to be very fun to watch. I, I think that that will go a big way in helping to turn around Ohio State's defense because like we talked about a lot last year, especially at linebacker and safety, you could you could physically see the guys out there thinking during plays and by the time they figured out what was going on, the play was behind them and the other team was ripping off a big gain. So I think that simplifying things, having guys in clearly defined roles and knowing what they're supposed to be doing out there before the plays even started is going to go a long, long way this season. I think it's going to be a chaotic defense in the best way, because you're right. Jim Knowles has spoken of these defined kind of roles and positions, but he's shown a willingness to experiment. He likes to blitz, which you can bring from, you know, the second or third level. I think these guys will get an opportunity to do that. And while they may fit into a certain mold, uh, again, I think he will be willing to rotate them or try them, put them in different situations and still kind of dumb it down and simplify it for them. I, I know that kind of, it sounds like, you know, it'll be kind of this amoeba defense, but it, it won't. What I'm trying to say is I think that he will pick and choose his spots, I guess is the best way for me to put it. I think that these guys will be in their roles, but Jim Knowles might ask of them, hey, here's your role. Know a little bit about this one. Hey, you're an A, know a little bit about B because I might be interested in using you in that situation. So I think that he will do a lot of teaching, which he has talked about. You know, he considers himself a teacher. Um, he, he had the line about if the student hasn't learned, the teacher hasn't taught. I really like that. So I think that he will work with these guys tirelessly to put them in the best positions to succeed, which I don't think we saw over the last one or two years. Yeah, and on top of that, obviously you have guys like Perry Eliano and Tim Walton coming in. So a lot of the guys in Ohio State's roster will be getting coaching, real coaching for the first time since they've been in Ohio State. So that'll be obviously good. Um, and instead of just throwing them out there and telling them good luck like they did pretty much the past two or three seasons. Um, so I think all of that's going to come into play and I do think, you know, I, I have high hopes for this defense, obviously, as we both do. And, you know, like we said, we're not expecting them to be a, a top 20 defense next year. But I think that, you know, the ceiling is going to be much higher than it was these past couple of years just because the coaching is going to be so much better. Uh, you know, the players are more or less the same, but there is a lot of... Ceiling's talent. a great word for it. I, I think there's a much higher ceiling. That's a good one. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, just having good coaching, we've seen how important it could be. And even having, you know, we watched an Ohio State defense one year, you know, have the same exact players go from terrible to really good in 2017. I mean, uh, in 2019 and, and from the 2018, that was basically the same roster. And then it got completely changed around because of better coaching with Jeff Halfley coming in and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, coaching is everything, and these guys, I have, I have my full faith in right now. You know, you see what Perry Eliano's done putting some of these guys in the league. You see Tim Walton's track record in the league uh, itself, and you know, Jim Knowles as kind of the the maestro ahead of everyone else just just gives you a, a good feeling for this defense. But just to kind of to round things out with Jim Knowles' time here, he also brought up Hancock and Johnson maturing quickly and showing a ton of potential. So having two guys, you know, go out of their way to kind of mention those two corners is is definitely reassuring. Gene, I want to ask you about uh, another guy too. He kind of slipped in a comment. Cade Stover, Ryan Day talked about Cade Stover having the potential to be a really good tight end. And he kind of made it seem like they were still sorting that out, but he switched his number to 16. He was running with the defense and Jim Knowles said, you know, uh, he had some good things to say about him, called him a tough guy. So they need need to give him a role where he's on the attack. So what do you think about the Cade Stover situation? Do you think that's Ryan Day just kind of being vague intentionally or do you think they're still trying to decide something because if it were me the decision is already made it's defense but how do you feel about that yeah I mean I think they pretty much told us that that Cade Stover is going to play defense this year it's just we don't really know where whether he's going to be a defensive lineman or a linebacker you know the problem with the only problem I wouldn't say it's a problem but the the interesting thing about Jim Knowles' system is that there's only probably going to be two linebackers on the field at any given time. And I don't know mm-hmm. if, if Cade Stover is going to be quite good enough at a position that he hasn't really played much to take over for, you know, a guy like Steel Chambers or even a CJ Hicks coming in. So I think it's gonna be tough to crack the, the linebacker rotation. Um, and then on the defensive line as well, you know, defensive ends kind of deep. I think he would be an interesting guy to play at that Leo type position, if, especially if they want to bring him on the attack. That's a guy you could kind of blitz off the edge and do some interesting things with. Um, but you know, we've talked about guys like Jack Sawyer and Zach Harrison being at that spot. So I think that he might be, you know, he might be blocked in a lot of different areas. Maybe there'll be certain packages where they could get him in there if they do feel like he could be a good threat in a certain blitz package or whatever. Maybe in the Rushman package, he'll be up there up front. But I think definitely he's going to be on defense. I think they pretty much explicitly told us that at this point. I just don't really know where his role lies at this current moment. Yeah, the linebacker situation is going to be very interesting. And that's another thing that you and I have talked about in the past. Jim Knowles said that they're probably going to initially have four down up front, which is not a change. Um, But the safety situation is. So with only two spots, that's another, uh, another situation or another position where I think they have a lot of options and only so few, you know, only so many opportunities for these guys because You've got your Tommy Eichenberg. You've got Steel Chambers, who Jim Knowles talked about a little bit. Cody Simon coming back. Taraja Mitchell coming back for another year, even though he wasn't great last year. So that's another thing that I'm going to be interested in. It's almost like, uh, I don't know if you did this when you play video games, but like when you play Madden, you put certain players in certain packages only, and then you might run that package on and off. But it seems like they've got some, some substitution options whether they choose to use that or not is you know still tbd 
Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up substitutions because it does feel a lot like, whereas last year we were complaining about Ohio State subbing because it seemed, you know, kind of willy-nilly and there was no real rhyme or reason to it. They were kind of just subbing guys because they didn't know what to do with them. I feel like this year they'll be subbing guys a lot, but it's because they know exactly what they're doing with them and because they're putting them in these, you know, defined roles and these specific schemes and specific sets. So I think that, you know, while we might see a lot of substitution again this year, I think it'll, it won't be a bad thing like it was last year. I think that they'll be able to keep guys fresh and rotate guys in and actually put them in good spots to succeed rather than just, you know, kind of subbing guys in and out and trying to figure out what they have for an entire season. I think that, you know, maybe in the beginning of the year, they won't fully know what they have and they'll be trying some of that. But I think for the most part, a lot of their substitution is going to be, you know, kind of scheme based and set based instead of just just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, I think that the one thing they need to avoid and, you know, they don't Jim Knowles and those guys, they don't need me to tell them this is they need to avoid becoming too predictable. If they do find some sort of substitution pattern, they've got to throw some different looks in there because I, I, I pick a guy like Cade Stover. If he does get some playing time at linebacker, but he blitzes a ton, right? That's going to become predictable. Teams will pick up on that. So they need to avoid too much, uh, you know, predictability. But again, when you've got that many tools in the tool cabinet, then I, it's best to use them. And I think they just need to figure that out. And fortunately, there was a lot of time to do that. Yeah. And I think from what we've heard of Jim Knowles, the last thing people would describe him as is predictable. So that seems all seems to be good on that front. Uh, Yeah. And just to close out kind of spring practice interviews today, uh, we heard a little bit from Kevin Wilson, not a ton from him that we didn't already hear from either Knowles or Ryan Day. He did say that G. Scott Jr. would probably be one of, you know, two or three guys who play a lot at tight end, which is kind of what we expected. And I also thought, you know, kind of his most interesting thing out of Wilson today was that he he talked about Ohio State's offense, and he said right now they're a, they're a good stat offense, but they need to pair that with a, with a physical presence. And what I kind of feel like that that's kind of alluding to the way that Michigan described them as as more of a finesse team rather than a physical and a tough team. And I think that Ohio State kind of that that sat with Ohio State in a bad way. And while they are, you know, they're an offense that puts up a ton of stats, but you wouldn't exactly describe them as as a tough nose, you know, grinded out hard, you know, hard fought offense. I think they want to try to get back a little bit to that. You know, they want to out physical teams again. And while you know their their offense has obviously changed, it's a more pass heavy offense, and you don't really need to out physical teams when you're throwing the ball around. But I still think they'd like to be able to push teams around in the trenches better than they did, especially in the run game. And I think that you know on defense as well, they'd like to get the job done. So I thought that was an interesting comment from Kevin Wilson, kind of a different, I guess, mindset coming into the season about Ohio State. And they realized that, you know, they could put up numbers, but they want to really impose their will on teams, it would seem. I think that when he said that, that was his indirect way of saying, yeah, we put up all the stats and all the points, but we need to be able to get a third and three. You know, we need to be able to run for a third and two. I think that that's clearly what Ohio State struggled with at times last year. Red zone was an issue from time to time. So I think that that's what he was alluding to. And I I think you would probably agree with that, that that was sort of a weakness at times last year. So to hear him kind of have that mentality, that's a good thing. I hope that that flows outward to the guys that he works with, um, just in general on offense, but with his tight ends as well. I think the funny thing about Kevin Wilson is he, he talked a lot about just the team and he talked a little bit about defense. Like he sounded very just general assistant coach esque in that he talked about both sides of the ball and team mentality and things like that. So I thought he had a lot of good nuggets. I was just surprised to hear him speak about so many different parts and components of the team. Yeah, I I think we've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of not really 
understanding what Kevin Wilson's role is. Not that he's a bad coach or that he's he's doing anything wrong. It's just that when you have a guy like Ryan Day who's so offense heavy and clearly calling plays, and you have a, you know an offensive coordinator as well, it's just you know it's not really clear what his role is, especially when his you know his denoted position is tight end, and there's like no tight ends on the roster. So it is a bit of an odd scenario, but nonetheless. Um, it is what it is. Uh, my only last little nugget here, I don't know if you have anything else, Josh, was a couple of, a couple of number changes here. Uh, I think it's interesting that Emeka Ibuka is wearing number two uh, just because of some of the, the recent number twos we've seen in Ohio State history. Obviously, you know, in just the last few years, guys like J.K. Domids, Chase Young, Chris Olave. So, you know, a, a good history of the number two, especially, you know, last year wide receiver. So having a number two running around out there who, who seems like he's going to be a pretty darn good wide receiver in his own right is definitely fun. And then, you know, as you brought up before the podcast, my guy, Mayan Williams changing to number three. Uh, I'm going to love seeing Mayan Williams in a single-digit number. I think a big dude like him, a big wide dude wearing a single digit is going to look really good. So I'm going to love watching uh, Mayan Williams run around number three. So I, I think, too, a lot a lot of different number changes out there. Obviously, there's when I'm not going to run through all of them right now, and some of them are, are going to change as the season goes on. You know, we had, uh, I'm pretty sure, Court Williams and Denzel Burke started the spring practice wearing each other's number and then switched. So I don't really know what that's about. But numbers are still subject to change. But those are just two that caught my eye. I don't know if you have anything else, Josh, in terms of spring practice or anything along those lines that you want to discuss before we move on a little bit here? No, nothing really from the presser. Just kind of hitting on the numbers real quick. I think Mayan Williams wearing the number three is a badass move. Uh, I think that's an automatic 1,000 yards, even in a backup role. That's just a good number for a big dude. And I am team teens for the wide receivers. A couple of guys that have come in early, I think they're like number 12, number 17. So you see things like that, but no, nothing too crazy, nothing too wild. I think that it's to be expected. I will say, though, Devin Brown is rocking the number 15. Pat Mahomes rocks number 15. So maybe he's got that in mind for his uh, his ultimate quarterback ceiling. I'm sure Ohio State would love for him to become the next Patrick Mahomes. I don't think they could play in even a little well, bit. He's- He's going to have to sit behind future Heisman contender Kyle McCord for at least a year. Just <laughs> I know, saying. I know you're a big Kyle McCord guy, so we'll see how that all, all pans out. And I'm, I'm hoping for it. And for Ohio State's sake, we'll see how that all pans out. But yeah, the, not not much else interesting on the numbers. I, I do like how you talked about the, the teens for wide receivers because I've always said, I, I think that like part of the Chiefs' allure is that all of their wide receivers wear like 13, 17, 11, and they're all very <laughs> similar builds. So it's almost like before you like see the end of the play, it's really hard to tell all of them apart. And it's obviously different at Ohio State because they're built a little bit differently. And like, you know, you have a, a really tall, skinny dude like Marvin Harrison and then like a, a short jack dude like Julian Fleming. Uh, but, you know, I just I just think that's interesting. And I've always thought that about the Chiefs, how all of their wide receivers wear like very similar numbers and are very similarly built. I think it I think it gives them an edge because you don't know you don't know uh, how to game plan for it. But nonetheless, 80s. Yeah. 80s are played out. You know, it used to be that wide receivers, and I think maybe it was like required for a time in the NFL that they had to wear between 80 and 89, but that's like strictly a tight end number. You look at all levels, really, even in the NFL, like you mentioned, um, you know, there was a big trade today. So I was thinking about a guy like DK Metcalf, where's number 14? Um, Julian Fleming, we didn't talk about him. He wears number four, the guys that just left two and five. So yeah, I mean, it's just a, a changing of the guard. It's a different culture, and those guys want to wear what they think looks cool. And so number 86 is played out, you know. 
Yeah, I, you know, obviously we've seen a lot of different, like they've, they've changed a bit of the rules on Jersey. I remember, you know, during the Giants Super Bowls, you had, you know, Victor Cruz wearing 80, Hakeem Nicks wearing 88, and Manningham wearing 81. So I think that wide receivers were probably required to wear 80 at the time. But nonetheless, speaking of the NFL, it's a good transition here. Uh, we did have the NFL Combine uh, the, this last week uh, where Ohio State had a, a bunch of players in it. But the main two that I, you know, I had an eye on, I think most of the country had an eye on, were Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, two of, you know, the, who will be the first two Ohio State players drafted in the 2022 NFL Draft. Uh, both of them ran very convincing 40s. Chris Olave had like a, a ridiculous 4-2-6, I believe, unofficial before they rounded it. To, they, they, the official was 4-3-9. I don't know who was running the stopwatch during his unofficial, but that person needs to, to really figure it out there. Uh, Chris, uh, Garrett Wilson ran a 4-3-8. So both of them running sub-4-40s. They're the second pair of wide receiver college teammates to run sub-4-40s at the Combine since 2006. Um both of which will only help their stock. You know, I think there's been some questions about Garrett Wilson, some of his physical traits, you know, just as, you know, a speed guy. And we know that's not his game. He's not a burner, but he is clearly very athletic. He ran a 4.38. We know what he could do in his leaping ability, his catching ability, and all this stuff. And I think that, you know, I wrote about it a little this earlier this week, ranking the wide receivers. I personally think Garrett Wilson's the best wide receiver in the draft, and I don't think it's particularly close. And I do like guys like like Drake London and Jamison Williams and Traylon Burks, but I think that Garrett Wilson is far and away the best receiver. I think he does everything well. I think he's everything you could ask for in a wide receiver. And I think that, you know, his 40 time will, will stop a lot of the questions about maybe his, his physical traits and, and stuff like that. I'm glad you brought up your receiver column because I thought it was interesting. I think that this year's draft has all these different types of wide receivers. I think that Garrett Wilson is very much a do-it-all kind of guy. I feel like Chris Olave, you know, he, he proved to us that he was a burner, but he see, he's a, a technician. I've, I've talked about that in the past. Great routes, getting in and out of breaks, getting off the line, things like that. Uh, Drake London is a, a big monster. He's like 6'5", 230. Uh, the kid out of Arkansas is another big kid, but he does a lot with the ball in his hands, kind of like a, a supersized Debo Samuel. So for these teams, I really I think it's just about like what catches your eye. Uh, you know, they clearly want a guy who can run, catch, break tackles, things like that, but they all bring these sort of different parts to the game. And just to talk about the Ohio State guys, yeah, Olave shocked the world with that 4-2-6, and it got bumped up quite a bit later. I don't remember a variance, not that you would kind of keep in mind the variances, but that's a that's a big bump from 4.26 to 4.39. So I definitely want them to look at whoever was holding the stopwatch. I'm with you on that. A bit of a bummer for Olave, but it was still a great time. And he showed off easy speed. And what I mean by that is... And let me know if you know what I mean. Do you know what 40 face is? I don't. But when you say like easy speed, I think I always go back to the, the uh, what's his name? Gus Johnson calling one of his touchdowns smooth like silk sheets because that's like Olave is a very smooth and silky runner and he doesn't look like he's running fast because he's so smooth. Yeah. If you look at the screen grabs, when guys are running 40s, I call it 40 face. Maybe I've heard it before. I don't know. Maybe I should trademark it. But, you know, their, their face is all distorted and stressed out and this, that and the other. Chris Olave looked like he was going for a jog and his effort was, you know, no different than anybody's else, uh, anybody else. But that's why I say it was easy speed. Like it looked easy for him to run that four, three, nine, although I'm sure he works at it. So it, next time you're thinking of it, look at the 40 face. Let me know if you know what I'm talking about, but moving on from him. Yeah. Garrett Wilson, another great combine. 
the only concern for me was he came in under six foot, like just by a quarter of an inch, but you know, under six foot, about 180 pounds. So not the biggest guy, but on the other side of things, he did have a, you know, a longer wingspan, bigger hands, and we've seen what he can do. So in my mind, he plays bigger than he measures. So I don't think that that'll be held against him. You know, there's plenty of 5'11 successful NFL wide receivers. And when you can do things with the ball and to get the ball like Garrett Wilson, I think that these two guys, they just cemented their status. If it wasn't already, I I don't know, maybe in the top 20, I think Garrett Wilson, it's a foregone conclusion. He may be the first wide receiver taken. We'll see there. I had seen Chris Olave projected anywhere from like 25 to 40. I think he moved up a little bit because teams that maybe weren't super familiar with him now know the speed that he possesses, even if they didn't see it get bumped up. You know, the first thing they saw was a 4.26. Whether they believe it or not, or they know the end result, that's the first thing they saw. So that's going to be in your head. It's going to be in the back of your mind regardless. So I think those guys just, like I said, cemented their status as bona fide number one wide receivers. And I've got some other notes on the combine, Gene, but I don't know if you wanted to talk any more about the receivers in particular. No, I'm kind of going to let you like run the floor here after the wide receivers. I just want to give my last, my parting thoughts on wide receivers and then let you let you take the stage. Um, yeah, if anybody has any thought, like any worries about Gary Olson's height, I think he could just show them the picture of him literally clearing the Clemson uh, defender in the, in the Fiesta Bowl mm-hmm. or the whichever one that was when he's like a full like five feet in the air. Just show them that. I don't think the height's going to be a problem. He's got a pretty good leaping ability. I think he could still make some good contested catches. And yeah, with Olave, I certainly didn't think he had sub 4-4 speed. Uh, That's certainly good for his results. I, like you, have seen, you know, kind of late first round, early second. But I do think he's pretty solidified in that first round. Um, you know, and like you like you talk about the wide receivers, it is kind of a, a pick your poison type of thing, type of, uh, type of like, you know, uh, what you're looking for. You know, if a team, if it earlier than Olave, if a team is looking for, you know, a big bodied receiver, then they're going to go with Drake London. If they're going to look for a kind of a do it all guy, you're going to get Garrett Wilson. If you're looking for a burner, you're going to get Jameson Williams. So it is kind of just based on scheme fit and which teams are, are picking when. So. I don't think that whoever's going before anybody doesn't mean they're a better player, but there is a lot of different builds and scheme type of guys. So I think that, you know, whichever receiver, whichever type of receiver teams looking for is going to determine their draft order. But that's kind of my parting thought on the wide receiver. So whatever else you have on Ohio State's combine participants, please fill us in. For sure. So Jeremy Rucker did not test. He did do the bench. He had 19 reps. I think that put him in the top half. He alluded to maybe just being banged up a little bit. I'm sure he will do more at the Ohio State Pro Day. I don't think Jeremy Ruckert is going to test off the charts. I just don't think that's his game. Maybe he'll surprise me, but I think he can still be an asset and a good player at the next level. So TBD on him. And then the two guys or the guys from the both sides of the line, offensive line, you can't really read. I don't think too much into that. The, the 40 times were both plus five, nothing crazy there. Uh, there, Mumford and Nicholas Petit Friere, sorry, they did have solid measurements. You know, sometimes the college programs will kind of trump a guy up a bit, a little bit. They'll give him an extra inch. They'll give him an extra 10 to 15 pounds. But there, Mumford was a solid 6'6", 320 ish. Um, Petit Friere was 6'5", about 320. So good, solid measurements uh, there. Both long enough arms, large enough hands. The big knock against 
any offensive lineman is the the short arms. That's not going to be an issue for either one of these guys. But then on the other side of the ball, I, I was a little, I guess, disappointed in what the defensive lineman did. You know, I think Haskell Garrett, we've talked about his size before he came in at barely 6'1", under 300 pounds, and he ran a 5.0740. So if you're going to be 6'1", 295 neighborhood, you know, you think about the guys who are successful at that size in the NFL, they're Aaron Donald, right? They're few and far between, and Aaron Donald is a freak of nature, whether it's his speed, his quickness, his uh, technique, his strength, and that's not Haskell Garrett's game. So I look at him as more of a mid-round pick. I hope that he can outperform my expectations. He did some things at times here at Ohio State, not so much last year, but I think disappointing measurements and a slow 40 time for him. And Tyreek Smith, I was kind of surprised. He barely cracked 4.9. He came in at a 4.86. He did have a solid vert and a solid broad jump, but you and I talked throughout the season. Tyreek Smith was that almost guy when he was healthy, right? He had a lot of near sacks in our opinion, but a 4.86 is not a great 40 time for an edge rusher. He's not a big guy. He's like 6'3", 250. So again, the measurements and the speed, the 40 time, not super impressive for their other defensive linemen. So I look at both of those guys as maybe mid-round picks, backup types, but you know, who knows? A guy like Jonathan Cooper was banged up for a ton of his Ohio State career not crazy measurables. And he kind of carved out a role for himself in Denver this year as a rookie, along with Baron Browning. So I could definitely be wrong. Uh, Lord knows I'm, I'm wrong probably more often than I'm right, but I don't think that either one of the defensive linemen tested or measured that well or that impressively. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get on my Ohio State strength and conditioning soapbox this week, but I will say that I have a feeling that played some of part in some of those measurements. But in terms of uh, Jeremy Ruckert specifically, um, I've, I've seen Jeremy Ruckert as, as a top three tight end in this draft. So I think Jeremy Ruckert has a potential like him, to yeah. be... To bench, the potential to be, I don't know if late first, but probably, you know, early second, somewhere in the second or third round. So I, I think Jeremy Ruckert, obviously we've talked about a lot, you know, the tight end position at Ohio State, whatever it is. But Jeremy Ruckert is certainly, I think, going to have a better pro career than he had a college career. And I think that NFL teams really like what they've seen from him, regardless of how his tests look. And like you said, he'll probably do even better during his Ohio State pro day because he's, he's working with some nagging injuries right now. But yeah, nonetheless, uh, kind of a, across the board performances here from Ohio State's uh NFL Combine guys, wide receivers looked really good. Jamie Ruckert for what he for what he did looks good. Let me ask you about Ruckert. He's he's clearly not a gosh uh, like a Mike Gesicki type from Miami, former Penn State tight end, kind of tall, slender, very tall. Um, can jump up and go get contested balls. He's not a Gronk who is a fantastic blocker, thicker build. What's like the prototype or the comp? that you have for Jeremy Ruckert, or what do you think that he can be at the next level? I don't know. I'm trying to think. Tight ends are kind of tough because I feel like that position is just ever-changing in the NFL. I feel like we're going more towards... Like, can he be George Kittle, who can do a little bit of everything, or is George Kittle more athletic than him? I mean, Jeremy Ruckert's kind of sneaky big. I mean, Jeremy Ruckert is 6'5". So yeah. I mean he is kind of, he he plays like he plays more like a wide receiver but he is 65 and he is like a, he's not like a small guy he's he's pretty good he's a good size for what he is. I don't know, it's going to be interesting. I I feel like you know we've seen in the past couple of years 
you know, players like an Evan Ingram or uh, the guy who just gave me the Falcons drafted last year, the the tight end. Pitts. Yeah, uh, uh, Pitts. Like, we're seeing more of these kind of pass-catching type tight ends, and I feel like that's more of what Jeremy Ruckert is. While he was a very good blocker, I feel like, you know, there are people who are going to laud him for his pass-catching ability, and we, we love to have that security blanket over the middle from these tight ends these days. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think we are seeing kind of a shift in the tight end position, and maybe he's kind of in that sort of mold. But I can't think of a player right now that comes to mind immediately for, for what he projects out at the next level. That's called deflection because I couldn't think of one either. I was hoping if I put you on the spot, you had one in mind, but he's a, he's a combination of many things, I think. And to your point, I wouldn't say it's a dying breed, but it's not utilized as much that, you know, that one inline tight end who can also go and get balls, you know, that is a Gronk type. And I don't think he's that. But I think he can be a very good combination, provided he his blocking gets a little bit better. Uh, we saw him whiff a couple times during the season, but I think he can get better. And he does have that body type, that mold to where maybe he can box guys out a little bit more. He can do some things across the middle of the field, as opposed to a Kyle Pitts, who is essentially a wide receiver. You know, I never saw him throw a block. They let, they put him out wide pretty often. So I don't think he's that type, but I think he can be a mold of many different players. Yeah, and I, I'm going to retract my uh, my Evan Ingram comparison just because I'm not going to put that evil on him. Uh, as a Giants <laughs> fan, I despise Evan Ingram, and I, I think Jeremy Ruckert is a far better player than that. So shout out to Jeremy Ruckert, Long Island guy. Got to represent my, my guys. Uh, but other than that, I'm going to deflect now to the end of the episode, so I, I don't uh, say anything else stupid the way the rest of the way. Be sure to check out all of our content at landgrantholand.com. We're obviously going to have a bunch coming up here with the, the basketball team at the Big Ten Tournament, or the whatever else we learned from spring practices throughout the March and April months. Uh, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, and all that good stuff on the podcast like you do. And uh, for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross, and as always, go Bucks.